This episode of the Juice Box Podcast is sponsored by Insulate, makers of the Omnipod system, the world's only tubeless insulin pump. Welcome to episode 40 of the Juice Box Podcast. Wow, episode 40 of the Juice Box Podcast. That's really cool. This episode is with Anisha Darshi. Anisha is the director of type 1 diabetes programs at the American Diabetes Association, the ADA. And uh, we're going to finish up. We're going to finish. That wasn't really finish. I don't think that's how you say it. We're going to finish up Diabetes Awareness Month with Anisha's, um, with Anisha's, Anisha, Anisha, finish. I've, I have an odd, something's going on. We're going to finish up Diabetes Awareness Month with my interview with her because, uh, you know, we talk about a number of things, including what does the ADA do? How do they serve people? Um, changes that, that have kind of happened at the ADA. Also, very interestingly, uh, Anisha has type 1 diabetes herself. So does her sister. So does her father. Her mom has type 2. Um, this, is, uh, this, is, this girl is surrounded by diabetes. At some point during the, the episode, we end up talking about what, what the phone number 1-800-DIABETES does and, and how you can call the ADA to get help if your child's being ill-treated by their school, if their 504 plan's not being... Um, you know, paid attention to. If you need help with a 504 plan, if your employer is not allowing you to test at work, you know, all kinds of stuff that they can help you out with, with advice and legal backing and everything else. In addition to this podcast episode, Anisha's crew at the ADA wrote a blog post that is actually simultaneously running on Ardensday.com. Check it out. Hello, plays songs that hate the hip Guys like us, we had it made. Those were the days. Hi, this is Anisha. Anisha, it's Scott Benner. How are you? Hi, Scott. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. <laughs> uh, hold yourself together. I don't think it's going to be that exciting. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, so funny. First of all, I'm glad you're excited. I'm glad we were able to work <sighs> this out because I think we went through at least one scheduling change. Yep. And so I'm glad everything worked out very nicely. We're coming up on Thanksgiving, so I guess your week yeah. is... You know. Baby, I'm so excited about that, too. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm a very excitable person. I, I feel like I'm getting credit for <laughs> for the excitement you're feeling about eating with abandon two days from now. <laughs> How did you know? <laughs> so, um, you know what? I was going to ask you a question based off of that, but we got to at least tell people who you are before we start talking. Sure. Why don't you just do a little introduction and then I'll hit some stuff and we'll start. Sounds great. Um, so my name is Anisha Darshi um, and I am just over seven months into the best job in the world, in my opinion, which is um, that I work for the American Diabetes Association and I am the director for our type one diabetes programming. So anything focused on folks living with or folks supporting those living with type one diabetes, um, uh, big gulp I'm in charge of. <laughs> so um, it's a really great honor um, to be able to do this kind of work. And as someone who's living with type 1 diabetes, to be able to work on a daily basis to help others living with it. And you don't just live with it. Your family lives with diabetes. Is that right? My whole, yeah. yeah. Um, so I was the first diagnosed um, 
I was 20 years old um, and just entering my senior year at college. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember a few years later, my sister was diagnosed um, initially with type 2. And I remember telling her, well, at least it's not type (laughs) 1. And then jokes on me, a couple months later, her diagnosis was corrected. Um, So she's older than me. So she was in her late 20s. Um, And then um, my father had been supposedly living with type 2 diabetes for about three years until we finally had... um, some of the necessary blood tests run and confirmed that at 61, he, in fact, um, was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. Yeah. Um, and then my mom brings up the rear. She's got type 2, solid type 2. Um, so, yeah, the whole family lives with diabetes. It's, that's nuts. It really is. Now, what about outside of, your, out of, outside of your nuclear family? Is there, like, extended family that has it, too? Um, well, not type 1 as far as we know, um, and that as far as we know is a huge asterisk. So I think my great-grandmother um, had type 1 diabetes, but that was um, in another country way back when care was so different. Right. I mean, care was different 10 years ago, never mind, you know, 50 years ago. Sure, sure, um, absolutely. So no clue there, but definitely have type 2 diabetes um, on both my father's side and my, my mom's side. Wow, Okay. And you were talking about being diagnosed um, going into your senior year of your of your BA of, of your initial degree. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, was there? A, did that slow you down from going? Because you're kind of wicked smart here. You got an MPH at John <laughs> Hopkins too. So eh, so so did that slow you down going to your to your advanced you know, degree? I think it it didn't. I think it actually clarified what I wanted to do. So I was, honestly, I, I jumped around like a typical college student. I started out pre-med because who doesn't want to be a doctor when you're the child of an immigrant? Um, and then uh, I laugh. Um, they made you promise God, when you got here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your dad got here and he's like, what, what do you bring to the country? He said, don't worry, I'll make yeah, one exactly. of my kids be a doctor. Exactly. Um, So that didn't work out. Sorry, mom and dad. Um, But so then I decided to try out what, you know, was in my blood, which is everyone in my family is a teacher. That didn't work out either. So I found, yeah, (laughs) Um, I found sociology because um, I think it's fascinating now, um, but it was the only major I could get into that didn't require any other prerequisites. So you say I'm wicked smart, and I appreciate that, um, but I'm also wicked lazy. Um, <laughs> and uh, so the path of least resistance really tended to work out for me in life. That's horrible to say. So you're someone who um, tripped into an MPH at John Hopkins? Is that what you're saying to me? I didn't just... really. No, no, I worked my butt off. Once you got um, there. Yeah, yeah. I, I worked my butt off. Um, so I did my MPH part time while I worked full time um, wow. and had had the, the fortune of working with really amazing people at really amazing organizations um, mm-hmm. here in D.C. And um, I think that's what really did it in terms of my application to Hopkins. So, no, it didn't slow me down. It, it clarified that um, public health was kind of a like sociology, a catch all to be able to have some sort of impact on people's lives. Yeah. And it takes so many shapes that um when you're someone like me who doesn't really have a clear path until you finally get there, um, or a clear destination until I get there, um, something as broad as an MPH really worked for me and it helped me to finally hone in on, yes, diabetes is where it's at. I think it's super cool. I know it's tough. I know it sucks. But um I'm so sorry. My phone is ringing, but that'll stop in a second when I ignore it. That's okay. Let's do a bet with Lotus. Life goes on. It's either someone selling me solar panels. 
<laughs> or my mom. My mom my mom who my mom who will only call me very infrequently, but every time she does will be in the middle of something dire that I'm doing here. Like I'll have, I'll have something balanced in one hand and a knife in my teeth and my mom will call and I'll I'll get her on the phone. This happened last night by the way. I don't mean to derail you too much, but I got my mom oh, gets no. on the phone last night and she goes my mom's like 73. And she, she she has a computer and she says to me, um I, I, I'm, I'm updating my computer. I, I don't know what they. I don't know what they want. And I was like, "Mom, who are they?" Like, you know, right away, I'm like, "They." <laughs> yeah. And, and why are you updating your computer yeah, and not letting yeah. me do it? Was for the you? computer not working? Okay, no, it was working fine. But there's an update here. They said I should do it, and so I stopped it. I'm like, "Who is they?" And it took me a minute to find out that they is just is the dialogue box that popped up yeah, in front of her and is. said that. They, <laughs> And so I was like, people behind the screen. Yes. And I don't even think she thinks that. I think she thinks there's like a magical consortium somewhere who sent her that (laughs) message. And so now she called me back today and said her email didn't work. And I was like, I'm immediately, I don't live, I live about 45 minutes from my mom, but my brother, my my poor brother lives like 10 minutes away. So I texted. I was like, "You're gonna get a note from mom." That she He's needs the help. IT department, right? <laughs> I was like you're, a, you're, and it's it's and and it's Thanksgiving. You're gonna be over there. I was like, yeah. "You are stuck. You're gonna have to fix mom's email." So <laughs> I'm so sorry. I totally get it. Yeah. But calls from moms are so important. Just it, listen, even when it's something I, like that. I want to say I love when my mom calls. I'm not saying that, and I call my mom too <laughs> much more than my two brothers. I want to say. And, and <laughs> you so, win, Scott. No, you win. I don't know what I'm winning. A conversation about. <laughs> A conversation about magic people inside of her computer, I think. But never, all right, so nevertheless, I'm sorry. So, so you get this master's in public health, which which shows you like a, a section of the world, and then you kind of hone in on it. Where, where did you end up doing first coming out of Johns Hopkins? Um, so I was already working. Um, I had started working at the Institute of Medicine of the National Academies, and that's basically a group that is was chartered by Congress to really study major issues facing facing the nation or facing the world. Mm-hmm. So anything from climate change to engineering and transportation issues. And I worked in the Institute of Medicine that was really about healthcare and healthcare services. And I got to work in a really famous group, um, just happened to be there right after they released Crossing the Quality Chasm, which is the report and to Air is Human, which is the report that said 99,000 preventable errors happen and cause deaths within the healthcare system that seems annually. seems like a lot. Out of, uh, 99,000 out of how many opportunities to kill somebody? Oh, my goodness. Um, many, many, many opportunities, but right. 99,000 that we're yeah. causing. Yeah, yeah. so that, that actually helped to create um, the organization I went to, which was the National Quality Forum. So my background is in, it happened to be in healthcare quality and policy research. And I was always sort of externally focused, always focused on, well, who, who out there is measuring how well we're doing and mm-hmm. what is what they're measuring really telling us? Um, and that helped me to really then hone in on, well, we need to think about what matters to the people receiving the care, not just what those delivering the care think is important or what organizations like the American Diabetes Association say are the standards of care. Um, it, it needs to go deeper than that. Right. So I had really great opportunities, but honestly, um, last February, randomly um, looked on the ADA website, thanks to a friend who was also looking for a job in this area. And she's like, hey, there's something I think you should look at the ADA website. And it was this brand new position, director for type 1 diabetes programming. Um, And I kind of lost it um, and thought, well, 
hopefully no one else is seeing this. Let me apply. And about 100 people saw it. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> but I was the lucky, I was the lucky, lucky, lucky one. Well, you um, probably won them over with that story of being lazy. <laughs> <laughs> that, that must have been it. Yeah. This girl's really going to keep us lean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't worry. I won't, I won't cost you much at all. I probably won't That's even use that printer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's all a front. She thinks I'm busy working in my office right now, but I'm just I'm just talking to you. She's like she's like, you know her computer I don't think it's ever been on. She just she just sits in there and and that's all. I don't know. She stole yeah. that Masters of Public Health from somebody. So um so so you get this great job and it's using you know, it's using what you've learned and what you kind of figured out coming out of school. And and so if I'm if I'm correct the programs that you're sort of focused on are just not just people living with type one, but, but is there a particular focus? I mean, I've heard camps and youth families, but how does that, like, what does that mean? That's a great question. So there, I would, I would venture to say that nearly every single employee at the ADA works on type one diabetes in some shape or form, but we're the team that, and we're growing, which is cool. So we started out with none, um, really focused on type one before I got here. And I joined in April and then we added a a national director for our camp program in August. And now we're getting to hire two others. So the ADA is going through a lot of amazing, interesting, important changes. And through that are investments in dedicated type one staff, not people who have type one. I mean, people who are working on (laughs) type one programming, just to be clear, holy cow. No one needs to Um, bring a a class action lawsuit against the ADA. You will will hire someone (laughs) if they don't have diabetes. Well, here's the thing, like, well, you know, honestly, almost every single employee, as far as I know, has some sort of connection to diabetes. I mean, everyone in the world has some sort of connection to diabetes. So it's not surprising that so many employees are as dedicated and committed as they are because they have, they have so much skin in the game, even if their task um, seems to be more bureaucratic or administrative, they're still doing something in this long process to help other people with diabetes. And so... We're building this team, and this team is really focused on the needs of people living with type 1 diabetes and the needs of the people who are supporting those living with type 1 diabetes. So what the hell does that mean, Anisha? So what that means is, yes, Diabetes Camp is our largest sentinel program, if you will. It's been around for almost 70 years, and it's what we're really, really proud of. Mm -hmm. And it's so clear to, and we've been studying, too, the outcomes, and I'm happy to talk about them. We're actually releasing them today on our website, fingers crossed. Um, So we did a three-year study on the effects of camp on kids, and the effects are are pretty phenomenal. Um, We we always knew it, but we never really took the time to quantify it. So we had these great stories, and we had numbers, like how many are coming to camps and how many camps do we have? So we have 58 sessions of camp every summer. We're the largest provider of diabetes camp in the world. And 25 states throughout the country, and almost all of those camps are type 1-focused camps, um, a good split between day camps and overnight camps. And But then, like, what does that really say? Okay, so you have a lot of camps, but are you making a difference? Right. And so our, our study, which was um, over the 2013, 2014, and 2015 summers, they were pre-camp and post-camp surveys of the parents or guardians of the kids that came to camp. And what we learned were pretty amazing things. So one is that camp absolutely has a positive impact on the kids that show up. And we knew that, but now we have the data. (laughs) And how they're impacted is, so they're things that are a little bit more um, typical that you would look at. Like 
do you feel more confident with um, managing your diabetes on your own? And yes, they absolutely do. Do you feel like, and we know that they, so our diabetes camps, they're really about kids coming and being normal Mm -hmm. um, and meeting other kids with type 1. They're not about diabetes. Um, But you happen to, just by virtue of being, feeling like you belong and being around others that look like you and sound like you and worry about the things that you worry about or try to ignore the things that you also try to ignore. ignore. You already have this, like you have this incredible sense of community and you have this experience, even if you only go one summer, that is going to be with you for the rest of your life. But again, we had to quantify it. So aside from some of the things that kids will learn at camp, like for the first time, kids at camp may inject insulin or dial up something on their pump, count the carbs and try to go back and forth and really understand intricate things about what they're eating and how that works in their body. Mm -hmm. Um, They do more exercise. So they figure out, oh, this kind of exercise has me going low later, or it actually has me going high. Um, So those are the informal things that they happen to learn, but that's also stuff that we measured. So they felt like they had more confidence in independently managing their diabetes after coming to camp. That's great. Which as a dad... You, you know, like, mm-hmm. it's huge for Arden to be able to do her own stuff. It's huge. Um, it's huge that she feels confident and empowered. It's huge that you feel like maybe you can get a break. Um, so camp, I would say, is just as much for the caregivers and giving them the confidence that, hey, we've, we've got these kids in our hands. They're safe. We have our medical staff there. We have the insulin. Don't even bring your insulin. We've got you covered. Well, here's the problem, um, though. Motion's the only thing holding me up. If I stop, I'm going to fall over. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I'm you only, must have so much energy. <laughs> I am only being held up by my own momentum. That That's it. I have to continue to perpetuate it. You know, it's funny. We, um, My wife, Kelly, brought up camp to Arden the other day. She's never been. And um, okay. as Arden's interesting she's a little bit of a an older soul so like when you say camp to her i think she feels like you're like it's like a kitty thing and in the course of like trying to sell the idea to her i said you know what's cool at a lot of the camps like you don't even have to wear your insulin pump or your glucose monitor like nothing and i thought that would be like a big selling point and she looked back at me like i'm not taking this stuff off you moron and and i was like no really and i said i said oh because somebody will help you you won't even you know you wouldn't need it but she she wasn't looking to get away from it. It wasn't like a fear thing. It wasn't like, oh, I can't take this stuff off or I'll be in trouble. She was just yeah. like, look, this is how I do it. Like, I don't need to give this to somebody. And I thought that was really interesting. So, And I, I would say most of the kids are like Arden. Yeah. Um, and it's, there's definitely a hump that kids and parents have to get over to get their kids to diabetes camp. And first of all, sometimes when it's called diabetes camp, that's already a turnoff for some kids. You who need are a just sexier like, name. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's just, it's a camp where all of the campers happen to have type 1 diabetes. They just happen to. And they happen to have all of the tools around them to be really successful for a week or more away from the regular run of a daily life with a family with type 1 diabetes. And so... I, you know, if if it's something you want to consider, I'd, I'd talk to Arden again and just tell her, like, look, actually, this is just a really fun place. And did anything go wrong? You know, people are there to, to help you problem, to help her problem solve, not to take over for her. Mm-hmm. But if she's independent, then we support that 100 cool. percent. Um, and we don't want to take that away from her. We actually want to make her even more independent. That's excellent. Does that are camps mainly in the summertime? 
they are in the summertime. Yeah. So we have some areas throughout the country have family retreats. So smaller things over the weekends, typically focused on probably newly diagnosed families. But camp is for any kid within a certain age range. So as young as four and as old as about 15. And then we have a counselor in training program That's for it some of our teenagers. Um, and it runs from late May to late August. Okay. Um, and most camps are about a week long. Um, I'd say about 60% of them are residential or overnight camps, um, which is just another, it's another really special level yeah. of that break for the family and the independence and confidence for kids. Um, and then the other piece, I would say just to wrap up our, our outcomes discussion was that one of the most important things to me, as someone living with type 1 diabetes day in, day out, the burden, the emotional burden, the mental burden, um, I'm lucky to have the resources I need around me in people and in technology. But I, I love that when kids come to camp, we now know that their, their stress, their anger, their distress associated with diabetes is reduced because of camp and after camp. Yeah. So that's sort of like, even though we have a percentage around that, I think it's something that is hard to truly quantify and wrap your arms around. Because if you're impacting the mental health of a child with type 1 diabetes, you're impacting the functioning of the family, you're impacting the success of that individual and that family for many um, yeah, you don't um, need to measure that in any way, except that it's touch no. it's touching and it sounds good. And you yeah. know, and anyone living with it could could agree that that sounds like a great thing. Yeah. Okay. All right. So here's I'm, I'm going to ask you a question in a second about one of the campaigns that, that the ADA is involved in. But be- sure. before I do, I want to bring up something that I've noticed over and over again that doesn't seem to make any sense to me. But, <laughs> okay. But but at the same time. I guess it does. So I think we're all kind of wired in this way. You know, if I if I live here, I have to root for this football team. Um, I can't be a fan of this baseball team and this baseball team for some reason. That's sort of how our minds work in general. Sure. Why do people pick either the JDRF or the ADA uh-huh. and then get on one side of a line or the other and plant some flag and say these are this is who I you know, I stand behind this organization or I stand behind this organization. Do you see that? Is that, first of all, is that my imagination or is that something you see there? And do you understand it in any way? I I love this question. I so appreciate it. So let me say first, I I get it. Um, I think that, um, so I used to work for JDRF also. Um, I worked at a local chapter in my 20s and I was at that time the token type one who would help answer, you know, the phones um, and get the calls from the newly diagnosed families who were freaking out. Um, And it was nice to be able to do that. And at the same time, you know, my impression back then was, oh, JDRF focuses on type one and ADA focuses on type two. And if, and that was my impression back then. But then I realized, obviously, after working here and learning more and every day, I'm learning more and more about what the ADA does that we're not the American Type 2 Diabetes Association. Mm-hmm. We're just the American Diabetes Association, which means come one, come all. We've got something for all of you, pre-diabetes included, you know, gestational diabetes included, because there are things that are similar that are really important to address, and there are things that we're attempting to do that cover everyone and attempt to lift everyone up. Mm-hmm. Um, but to get to your point, so I think that, you know, when you're, when you're faced with something like a diagnosis of a chronic condition, you you look to who's out there to be there for you. And 
if you meet JDRF first or if you meet the ADA first, you're likely to potentially be, just from a human perspective, have some more allegiance towards one or the other. But I've been donating to JDRF um, since I started working there in my 20s. Um, And I also donate to the ADA um, because I agree with you. We have to be in this together. Um, In the same vein, while I'm the director for type 1 diabetes, it would be a shame if I didn't think about what am I doing that can actually benefit those of the folks working on type 2 diabetes? Or what can I learn from a program design standpoint from my type 2 diabetes colleagues that's going to help me be better for people living with type 1? Yeah, I just Um, don't understand. If if four guys in a Canadian bar in Saskatchewan figure out something that's going to help you, I don't care who they're affiliated with or why they sat down to talk about it initially. And, uh, you know, that sort of, I don't know, it just doesn't, but, but you're, what you said does make a ton of sense. Like maybe it's just, maybe you're just a Mets fan because somebody put a Mets hat on you (laughs) when you were, you know, the first time you put a baseball hat on. And so maybe it is who you bump into first or, um, or Scott, maybe you and I are different. So, um, I grew up in Miami. I've settled in the Washington DC area, but I'm also a Pittsburgh Steelers fan and it makes no sense. But, like, that's because I – you just made a sound. Are you not a Steelers fan or are you an Eagles well, fan? Well, yeah, you maybe I feel weird about the Ben Roethlisberger thing. I still think he's a little – Oh, well, yeah, here's the thing. All. When it's convenient for me, I separate the idiotic players <laughs> and their, their the, you know, whatever, whatever they do because from the team. I but when up, it's – yeah, I'm but, so, what, you know, if we're yeah. talking about the Lakers, like – I don't want to talk about the Lakers. I don't like what their players do, but but my players can do whatever they want. Right? I grew up an so Eagles fan. it's kind fan. of the same. And, and when they took, um, when the Eagles took on, oh my God, I can't even think of his name now, the dog guy. Uh, uh, yes. Yeah. yeah he's, um, he, God, he was doing dog fighting and all that stuff. When they brought him on board, I couldn't watch an Eagles game anymore. And then, uh, and it really ruined it for me. Like I literally genuinely yeah. couldn't watch for like a whole year. I can't believe his name is escaping. There's, Tons of people yelling at their iPhones right now. Like, like yeah, his name. there are. And, but, his face is in my head, but I, right, right. Atlanta. Like, yeah. I'm thinking of all of that. Yeah, he's left-handed. See, I know everything about him except yeah. for his name. <laughs> and so, but but I get your point. And you know, everyone is different. So okay, all right. So so in the end, you don't need to pick us up. In the end, we're in this together. Right, in right. the end, um, the ADA and JDRF work collaboratively at the highest levels. Um, and I'd love to see that transferring down to the local levels, too. Yeah. Um, it needs to, I don't know if trickle-down always works. So whatever we're espousing, you know, from a national headquarters position, um, we want our, you know, JDR, JDRF chapters and ADA field offices to be able to do the same. And some of them definitely collaborate. But others face this challenge, honestly, between, it's probably an allegiance challenge. And those allegiances change, too. Um there are families who say, you know, on both sides, this group helped me out, um, but then this group came along and now we're, you know, we're more committed to them. Yeah. Or we won't do, we'll do this walk, we won't do this, you know. It's something. Step yeah. Out. yeah, it's interesting how it, it, it affects everybody, I guess, differently. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, so there have been some, this is like the week of me talking to people about adjustments at the top of their organization, apparently, because uh, I just yeah. got, I just got done talking to the uh, CCO of Insula the other day. Um, yeah, they're going through a lot of changes. It's exciting. They are, and it was very exciting to hear her talk about it. But is the ADA doing something similar, or have they done something similar in, in recent so, time? Yeah, so I have a really silly grin on my face because I don't think there's a better time um, 
to be involved with the ADA, um, especially as an employee. So there's been, we have a new CEO, Kevin Hagen, who came in um, in June of this summer. And he really took a hard look at the organization, um, built a new executive team, um, and has brought in really innovative people and has helped us think about how do we get back to our roots? Mm-hmm. Like, how do we look back to what, what is the point of the ADA existing? And are we in every breath and every step meeting that point? Um, and the point is, there, there are a couple of really simple points. One is we want to want to be accessible. Mm-hmm. We want to make sure that anybody who needs trusted information about diabetes, regardless of the type, knows that the ADA is behind them and will have that information for them, knows that they can rely on the information that's being provided, and knows that we're going to have their best interests in mind with whatever it is that we're providing. Mm-hmm. So there's this phenomenal, it's palpable, this energy at the ADA where change is afoot and we are just stoked to be a part of it. Um, I think any large nonprofit organization like the association goes through lots of challenges. It's, it's huge and its network is so vast that sometimes it can be hard to wrap your arms around it. Mm-hmm. And so Kevin and his team are trying to wrap their arms around it and stay focused on what can they get their arms around and let's keep focus on these things. So making sure that people get what they need from us, making sure our programs and our resources are relevant to them, and then serving those who serve people living with diabetes, whether they're healthcare professionals, allied health professionals, um, folks within the community, school teachers, administrators, babysitters, grandparents, yeah. you name it. Because um, you can have this information and and have the desire to, to get it to someone to help them, but the delivery system has to has to do what it's supposed to do. You can't just say, yeah. there's a bunch of information on our website because that Go really get doesn't it. get me to right. an answer. And, no, not at all. And when I see the information and four or five of the words in the, in the text are foreign to me, then my brain mm-hmm. kind of starts backing me out of the conversation. I'm like, oh, maybe I don't understand this well enough. You know, yeah. maybe I'll come back later and look at it. I would say that what you're talking about is literally no different than what I kind of struggle with um, you know, on a very singular level, you know, I have this blog that I hear back from people and it helps them. And when you hear that, you think, well, how could we reach more people? You, more you know, people, like, how right. could we do something that doesn't just take them, you know, like right now I feel like, oh, everything's happening to you. Um, <laughs> and so right now I feel like, you know, blo- the blog's great because it gives a real uh, moral support to people. And it does give ideas about about maybe how I handle things that maybe they would want to think about, too. But right. but w- once you have a real answer, you know, like, you know, this is if you take these steps and look for these markers, you can get your blood sugar to here, like real stuff. Right. Yeah. But it's different from person to person. And so far, the only answer I've found is to get on the phone with somebody and have a 10 minute conversation with them. Mm-hmm. But I can't as much as I would like to. I can't talk to everybody who comes to my blog. Right. And but how do you do that? And that is such an important question to answer. Yeah. Because until you do, what you just have is a lot of great intentions that don't nearly touch as many people as they need to. After the break, we'll find out how Anisha and the ADA are planning on finding you. Uh, But first, an ad. November is Diabetes Awareness Month, and there are a lot of pretty compelling reasons to choose Omnipod for your insulin needs, starting with the freedom you'll experience. Then there's the convenience and control. 
Omnipod gives you or your child the freedom to do what you want, when you want. Sleep in, exercise, and just live life on your own terms because you don't want to be tethered to your insulin schedule or a pump. Wow, I think I finally got that right after reading it for like four weeks. <laughs> Sorry, insulin. The best way to understand Omnipod is to try it for yourself. I know I added a word there. The best way to understand Omnipod is to try it yourself. So get a free demo kit, including a sample non-functioning pod by going to www.myomnipod.com forward slash demo and see what you think. There's no obligation. That was pretty good, but I did a good job there. I'm pretty proud of myself. You know, I know this is an ad and it probably seems a little disingenuous to say this, but 100% from the bottom of my heart, Omnipod has made such a huge difference in my daughter's life. I mean, it is more than worth your time to go to that link and just get the demo pod and just to put your hands on it and check it out and see a little more about what it's uh, about what it's really like. And I, I would urge you to, to go back to the last episode of this podcast, episode 39, and listen to my interview with Shacy Petrovic. She's the CCO of Omnipod. Listen to the joy in her voice when she's talking about her job at Omnipod and what they're trying to accomplish. You're going to hear real transparency when she asks, answers questions from the community. You know, you don't get to pick what kind of people run companies of products you use, but 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 Chasey's a good one, and uh, it makes me feel good about what's coming from Omnipod. MyOmnipod.com forward slash demo. Type it into your browser, click on the show notes link. It's on juiceboxpodcast.com for this episode. You can find it. All right, let's get back to Shacey. She's going to talk over uh, some of her ideas for the ADA, things she's trying to get accomplished, and then we will eventually get to that all-important 1-800-DIABETES phone number where they can help you with all kinds of things. Don't forget, Ardensday.com, there is a blog post from the ADA with full details on 1-800-DIABETES. And, and so, so you, what's your delivery system like? And I mean, have they gotten that far or, or what you're trying to do? That's great. So, you know, it's funny. Um, we kind of have the same questions here. Like, how are we <laughs> going to do this? Um, and every Well, listen, weeks, if they want to hire me, I was lazy in school, too. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Actually, I am not looking for a job. Actually, we have a bunch of really awesome positions on our website. You should, you should check it out. I, I so, don't, I don't like me, to, be, before you answer the question, I don't like yeah, to joke about working because I think it would give my wife the idea that I should have a job. So... <laughs> Uh, let's not even. I'm very you busy have a here. Really important job. I'm very busy at home, and there's no time for me yep. to leave the house and help other people. That's important. Go ahead. Thank you. Okay. I don't so work. for those that are listening, that are actually looking for work, so <laughs> we we do have. I'm glad you're asking this question because we have the same questions around. Okay, we're going through all of these changes, and we're making really important strides in not only becoming more efficient with our work and more streamlined, but then investing. I talked about like. You know, it was just one person, me, who had type one in their title. And now we're going to have four. Like, that's huge for an organization to be able to make that commitment. But then the how is still TBD. It's mm -hmm. still to be determined. And it's to be determined by a combination of things. Like, what is it that the ADA wants to focus on? What sort of directives are we going to get from our leadership team? We're actively right now going through um, a business planning exercise. And our leadership went through that last month. And so we're as staff waiting with bated breath to hear, okay, how, how from a, you know, a day-to-day -day approach are we going to actually achieve our mission? And so that's, that's open. But there are things that we have been doing for a really long time that also help to answer your question, like, how, how do we reach the people? How do we make it relevant? Um, so we've got a lot of things that happen from a communication side. 
that attempt to reach people, like the the blog we we did on you and Arden, um, our social media presence, attempting to meet people where they are mm-hmm. as opposed to have them come to us, which is a really really old 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 model. Right. Um, and while our website is rich with information, there's so much information on it that we do have to make it digestible. And we have to have programs that help people navigate the day-to-day. So and one example I is, don't want to stop you, but if I don't know what information I need, then it, doesn't, yep. it almost doesn't matter if it's right in front of me then. So yeah. perfect. Yeah. Perfect transition into our Safe at School program, for example. Mm-hmm. So there... I'll talk about school and I'll talk about work because that's kind of the the places that kids and adults spend most of their time for the most part. So from a school perspective, our Safe at School program has been around for years and it has been primarily advocating on behalf of children and families living with diabetes who need to ensure that those children have the access to the tools and the professionals who can help them manage their diabetes. So they need to have access to their insulin. They need to have trained personnel within the school setting to be able to assist these children as needed. Um, And we've made incredible progress. Now, just because we have legislation in a certain state doesn't actually mean that everyone's following up. So the other part, which I think is the most gorgeous part, and you talked about, you know, I can't have a 10-minute conversation with everyone who wants to talk to me. But Scott, we can. Um, We have that capacity. We have... And I think it's one of the most beautiful parts of what we do. It's our, it's our front lines. It's our 1-800-DIABETES Center for Information, or for normal people, our call center. Mm-hmm. And there are people available to talk to anybody about anything related, about, related to diabetes. Mm-hmm. And no, we can't give healthcare guidance. But we, honestly, when I talk to folks that are in our call center, the main job that they have is really to listen and to comfort and to help people get over whatever they're going through and move on to the next step, whether it's dealing with really confusing information about diabetes and not understanding what to do next, if it's dealing with discrimination, like in the school setting. So if kids have an issue, if families have an issue getting what they need at school, we're there, just call us, 1-800-DIABETES, call us, and we will help get legal support for those families. Um, We get a lot of letters from inmates. Um, The criminal justice system, we know, we hear stories all the time about how people don't get what they need from a healthcare standpoint, but particularly for diabetes. Can you imagine not having access to insulin for days? Yeah, yeah. And there's really nothing you can do about it because you are literally... Right. You're in such a powerless position. Right. And so we we advocate on behalf of all of these people. Um, And so that's one way to reach people... When, honestly, what's really practical, I know when it comes to my my own diabetes management, I learn by testing and doing, and I've heard you talk on your your other podcasts about how you sort of, you know, figure it out as you go along, and maybe we need to, like, share what we're figuring out so it doesn't take us so long with a trial and error process, right. but... To have, a, to have someone to be able to reach out to when things aren't going right, I think is, is really critical, whether that's someone face-to-face or someone who's in the diabetes online community who can help answer questions, or someone like this big, hairy, red monster that is the ADA, which is a gorgeous monster <laughs> um, that's, that's been, been around for a while, and we've been committed to this for so long. Yeah. Call us. We have these resources. We know how to help find... Um, financial assistance with medication and test strips. Like, that's the kind of, like, the day-to-day crap that all of us have to go through with diabetes. Um, 
we've been there. Yeah, so and you're a good starting point because you have answers right away. It's not we do we have yeah. immediate answers right. and we have immediate resources and um, I think that's really really important. No, it absolutely is. It's it, I don't see how it could be more important. You know, it's mm-hmm. it, especially when you find yourselves in that situation because I, I think the thing that maybe gets lost is if you're in one of those moments where you can't afford your test trips or you don't know, you know, you don't know what to do. Or, I mean, the thing at school yeah. is crazy. Like I, you hear my, many stories online of people whose schools are just running their kids over and not doing anything valuable for them health wise at all. Yeah. These kids are going off every day and living with really high blood sugars just so that they don't get too low because there's no one there to help them or no one there who's, you know, desire stuff, even find out what it means to help them. It's terrible. Um, but I think what gets lost is, is that in, in your regular life, you don't wake up in the morning and have just a problem of where do I get my test trips from or how can I right. get my kids school? You also have to do all of the other things that that, that come to a, a normal family. and A and, normal human being. Yeah, yep. and every person that happens every day. I got to get up. I got to take a shower. There's 15 minutes. I can't believe we bought a dog. Now I got to feed it. Now I got to take right. a <laughs> I got to come back inside. Now I got to eat something. I got to put the dish in the sink. Blah, blah, blah. Before you know it, you lost an hour. Then you lost two hours. Then you go to work and you come home. Now you've lost 10 hours. When do I do that? When do I go find out about the test trips exactly? Yeah. That's how stuff gets passed off from day to day to day. Yeah. But when you could call somebody with a phone call at your lunch break and say, this is happening to me, and 10 or 15 minutes later have an answer, that's that's very Or nice. even better yet, you can even live chat with people here. Um, so if you can't make a call because your work situation or your personal situation doesn't allow you to have a private conversation, hopefully you're at a computer. And, and you can still and do that. You can... Yep, you can still do that too. So, when I think about when I think about the point of it all, um, I think about our focus on accessibility. Mm-hmm. How are we as accessible as possible to people, and how are they getting access to what they need, um, whether we're helping them or not? So, you know, we're fighting in the background to make sure people are constantly getting what they need at a decent, decent level, decent price, all that good stuff. Yeah. Um, and and that fight. Um, that fight for the association, it's its really personal. Yeah, really personal. Well, it has to be. I mean, honestly, you and your sister and your mom and your dad and, yeah. and you know, that's its that's nuts. Like, do you, so how do you, uh, how prevalent <laughs> is it in the house? Like, when we all get together on the holiday coming up here, is, how many times will I hear the word diabetes spoken out loud or does it just not come up or you got, is this just such a normal part of, of, of who that's your family it, you is? Know, so I'm I'm thinking back a little bit to an interaction I had when I met um now a college student who has type 1 diabetes and and I told her yeah I was diagnosed while I was in college and she said oh my god that must have been so hard and I thought well it's probably easier than getting diagnosed as like a young kid or a teenager and we both had arguments for why our diagnosis was less difficult than the funny? other person's yeah and but when I think about my family in particular, like, we were all adults. I, less and less, I remember life before diabetes. I was 20 when I was diagnosed. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do remember um, the comfort food that, you know, I kind of ate in an adventurous way, like taking Cheetos and totally, like, crumbling them into little, little, little pieces and then using a spoon to eat them out of a bowl. Like, how much fun is that? <laughs> but I can't do that. <laughs> I shouldn't do that now, you know? Um, hard to count those but carbs. It, huh? It's a little hard to count those carbs. It's a, it's a little bit hard. <laughs> and uh, thank goodness for a pump and a CGM where you can kind of track it and try to keep up, which is not a good idea. But 
Um, in terms of my family, so diabetes actually comes up a lot. And the reason it comes up a lot is because my mom is, like many households, um, she's sort of the manager of the food um, and everything else. Um, <laughs> but when it comes to food, um, my dad has been used to my mom cooking everything, preparing almost everything. And so my mom, while she was learning her type 2 diabetes, had to also learn my dad's type 1 diabetes. Their diagnoses happen around the same time. Okay. And so she is probably one of the best type 2 diabetics because she counts carbs um, down to really specific levels for my father and ends up eating around the same stuff. Right. Well, mine my, my um, as well, right? She's already doing it. So Exactly. Yeah. And so she she's doing really, really well. And my dad is doing well too. But what's really interesting is, you know, before I took this job, honestly, I had a moment of thinking about, well, shoot, like I deal with my type one all day long. Do I really want to have a job where my, where I'm supposed to deal with type one for others as well? Mm -hmm. Like I'm supposed to think about, you know, how can we really have an impact? And this beautiful thing happened. Um, about a month into working here, I forgot I had diabetes. And that was because like I was feeling so fulfilled by what I was doing that I kind of forgot. I still managed really well, but it wasn't everything. Yeah. Um, and until I started here, my type one was everything to me. And it's what drove me to this job. But at the same time, I remember um, thinking now, okay, so I've made this adjustment. My career is type one diabetes moving forward. Um, it's everything I've worked up towards. Now, is my family going to really hurt from that? Because now I'm exposed to newer research that's coming out. Um, I'm exposed to all these other interesting people and initiatives in the diabetes community. Am I going to be even more of a nag on my sister and my dad and my mom than I was before? Um, I'm the one who's had diabetes the longest, so whether it's right or wrong, I feel like I'm the most advanced and evolved. <laughs> I've been doing <laughs> this longer so than I just like, know. Yeah. yeah, I'm just, let me show you a thing or two, Dad. Hey, sister, do you really want to <laughs> have that? You know, so um, diabetes comes up a lot because when we're together and we'll be together for Thanksgiving, we're not together where I, in, they're not in D.C. But right. when I go down to Miami, which is so awesome for Thanksgiving, um, we my mom will be saying, okay, food's ready. Um, hey, Dad, go shoot up. Um Go inject your insulin. So right. we love the sort of funny drug jokes, too. Um, <laughs> oh, the go drug shoot humor. up. You're high. Yeah. You're, you're high. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, did you shoot up? Uh, where? And then all day long, it's really, you know, because food is such a big part of this upcoming holiday. Well, food is a part of our family nonstop anyway, because my mom's an amazing cook. Oh, and listen, so it's that always aside, food is a part of every day. Like it just, every you know, day. And, yeah. and the way insulin works, food's a part of every decision you make, you know, because by the time you feel that the insulin's cleared through your system, it's probably time to eat again, you, you know, yeah. so, but, 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 yeah. but, but Thanksgiving specifically for a lot of people is a lot of carb heavy food mixed it's, with salt, it's carb mixed heavy. with fat. I think the hard yeah, part, yeah. yeah, it's grazing too. Um, yeah, yeah. Which, you know, a lot of people like to raise and like to snack here and there and not be so structured when it comes to meals. And Thanksgiving is a perfect example of let's eat, you know, one nine-hour meal as opposed to <laughs> two one-hour meals, right. you know. And so um, I, I'm confident that come Thursday it's going to be – and it's really focused on my dad because 
My sister and I both have pumps. We have CGMs. He doesn't have either. Um, and he's chosen at this stage not to have either. He uses an insulin pen and he checks his blood sugar. So he doesn't really want all the information that a CGM offers. He doesn't want to know how how well his blood sugar is doing or how poorly it's doing. He just wants to, he kind of just operates meal to meal and wants to be happy. Um, and I totally respect that and I understand it. So I work to fill in the gap without being a jerk about it. Right. Um, right. So there's a, um, a behavioral psychologist that I spoke to that works in the diabetes community. And I, I talked to him and I was like, listen, got this job. I kind of feel responsible for my family's type 1 diabetes. How do I do this moving forward? And he was like, shame on you. Stop it. Just be yeah. a daughter. Right. Just be a sister. And I, I took that to heart and it's made their diabetes management better by my backing off mm-hmm. um, and trying to model good behavior, but also model normalcy with, oh, I really want an extra slice. Let me go ahead and go for it. I do wonder if, uh, if how much to like backing off will eventually lead them to come to you. You, you know, like, yeah. you know, maybe, maybe once they don't feel like they're being, mm-hmm. being told, Nagged they, so they, much. they yep. might go, you know what, maybe she does know something I don't know. I, I should go find out. Y- well, y- I know. had this, I had this really amazing opportunity a few weeks ago to spend some time with my dad and help him out at his business. And uh, we spent day in and day out together for a week and I was able to really take a close look. So I, I filled my mom's shoes for that week and I, you know, made sure he had nutritious meals that were ready. She had already cooked them. So I just warmed them up. I can't take credit for it. Mm-hmm. But I was trying to get a sense from him around what he wanted to eat. And then if he had questions around the carbs, I would work that out with him. But I've noticed that when I'm there, he doubts himself around carb counting um, or around looking at, you know, what else he might want to eat. Right. Um, and so I'm trying to empower him to make those decisions himself. Yeah. Um, and to work it out in his head, and he did. And then the cool part was that we noticed a trend that he was going low a couple hours after a late lunch, and so we made an adjustment to his insulin-to-carb ratio, and he's not going low anymore, which as God, as a daughter with an older father, that... Hey, you feel um, like you really did something for him. And, I'm just more yeah. relieved. Right, right. I'm so much more relieved. I'm not worried that... He's, his body's going to get so used to being low every day that he'll then become unaware. Yeah, he just won't and know. yeah, that's it. So, that's really cool. I I think too. Like I know I would try my hardest to restrain myself, but I'm giving you a lot of credit for not like pulling out your. I'm assuming you're using a Dexcom. Is, is that yes. yeah? It, it, I'm giving you a lot of credit for not pulling that out and holding it up to him and go, look, look what you could know. It, and and oh and, gosh, well I've done that <laughs> <laughs> and it didn't work. So maybe he's just, just not ready to know. Yeah, That's he's possible. not ready to know. And yeah. I, you know, I use it so much that he can see that there's a great deal of convenience and information. He also knows that. So I am hoping to get married in the next year and eventually have some kids. And I'm going to have to have the best blood sugar I've ever had in my life. And he knows that I'm working towards that. Right. Right. So he respects how I approach my diabetes mm. and I have to be better about respecting how he approaches his. Yeah, that's a, that. That must be difficult for you, but I, it sounds like you're doing a, a good job. Yeah. So, well, Thanks. good for you. Because I'm used to more. Well, I'm used to more being in a parental situation, where yeah. the person I'm talking to doesn't really, 
you know, you can disagree about this one way or the other, but they don't really get as much of a say. And so, yeah, you, you know, I'm, I'm in charge of your health and, you know, you could say to me, and I am in a significantly different situation because my daughter was two when she was diagnosed. So, mm-hmm. you know, adding technology or adding steps along the way has just been how it's always gone. You know, I mean, right. I'm pretty sure if I would have, if, if she walked into the word a little bit and I said to her, Hey, by the way, now for better diabetes, uh, management, we have to carry a brick in our left hand. She'd be like, Oh, and then she'd pick up a brick and start walking around with it. You know, <laughs> like, uh, you know, and, and, you know, to the, for the course, yeah, right? All right, I knew they were going to yeah. figure out something else. I don't know how this is helping though. And, and, you know, so I don't think she, she doesn't, but she still balks sometimes, but then I always have the behind me where I'm just like, look, you know, you know, I, I use this analogy all the time, but in 1976, if a doctor would have told me to take a pill that I didn't want to swallow, my dad wouldn't have been like, oh, you don't want to swallow it? Don't worry about it. He would have just, yeah. you know, he would have just like jammed it in my mouth and, and that would yeah. have kind of been the end of it. And and I always say that somewhere between 1976 and today, somewhere in the middle there is the right answer. You, you know, you need right. to be a little more forceful than maybe parenting is looking in the public eye right now and not yeah. not so much so that you know, I turn into a bank robber. So, um, you, you know, so you got to eat, but you can't do, like, you can't do that. You literally can't look at your father and tell him what to do. He'll, he'll laugh at you probably and be like, look, I'll tell you what to do if I want to, but it doesn't work. The other. I'm sure he still feels like that too. And that must be an interesting thing as we're talking about it for you both to have diabetes and for him not to be able to offer you any kind of real insight must be kind of quietly sad for him, I would imagine. I think it's, so it's, it's really sad. So now where you can relate is to my father's perspective. So his youngest daughter gets diagnosed. She's away from home for college. You want to hold her close, watch over her and make sure she's going to be okay. But you don't understand this condition. It came out of nowhere. It's complicated and she's far away. Um, And so his wish was Um, you know, he just prayed and prayed like, you know what, God, give it to me, give it to me and take it away from my girl. And then his second daughter gets diagnosed Yeah, and he's just like, what? Yeah. What's going on? And, and not, not for nothing, but later he'll get it. And it's not like you lost it. So he was like, wait, this wasn't really my, you know, (laughs) maybe someone wasn't listening to the whole statement I made. (laughs) I meant take it away from them (laughs) and not give it to all of us. It really is something. But I got to say, like, I, you know, I always have to, I was thinking about this before, you know, we started talking and um, part of why I am where I am with my type 1 diabetes is I've had phenomenal support and resources around me as soon as I was able to accept them. So mm-hmm. about four or five years into my diagnosis, when I accepted I had it, then everything changed. And I'm fortunate to have a boyfriend that is so interested and engaged and on top of it with me. I'm fortunate to have health insurance. I'm fortunate to have these really cool pieces, devices that other patients went through many years ago and tested for all of us so that we could all have it without a problem. Yeah. And Um, still all the people who don't aren't insured properly and or don't have insurance can't afford out of pocket. No, I know. Yeah. It's a it's a big change. I I've had an incredible journey and my type one has become a strength and a, a, a direction for my life um, in terms of a professional focus. Yeah. And it's become my passion. But I always get, you know, I always, I want to say, yeah, I'm thriving with type one diabetes and it's hard and I complain every day because mm. it sucks. Yeah. But I know other people, I want to be careful. Other people 
haven't had the fortune of having the resources and the kind of family support that I had and the um, friend support. Um, they've this is already a hard disease. If you don't have things at your fingertips, I don't know how you really survive. Never mind thriving. Right, like that's right. not even an option. So I think that I think what we want to do honestly and as I get to build this awesome team focused on, I'm calling it the dream team, the type one dream team. Um, I just want like, if, if at the end of the day, our programs don't reach the people who never knew they existed, who never knew that stuff was available to them free of charge to be able to take advantage of, then I think we're missing the point. Yeah. no, um, I, I, It's I, really easy to reach the folks that can, afford stuff that can participate that can contribute right but it's much harder to reach the people that really need us and i think that's what we're really committed to yeah sure because because there's such a big problem with you know the way we think right now to to reach another human being like immediately you think about the internet like some way i'll send them an email i'll put it on the web that's the way and and you don't stop and think sometimes that there's a a significant portion of the population that's not even online You, you, you don't even think of it that way but how do they find those resources in person? And you're saying you have a phone number they can call. And I think everybody at some point or another can get to a phone if they need to. So, yeah. you know, that's um, great. I'd love to put information on the blog to help uh, people get back to it. So not just do the podcast, but Absolutely. try to find find a place to do that. And um, there, was, um, there was something, what you just mentioned, there was something really cool that we did. So um, that I got to be a part of, which is why I can talk about it. And um, so every year we convene the scientific sessions, which is the largest meeting on everything going on in diabetes in the world. And it's, it's so cool. I went to my first one this summer as an employee and was just blown away. Um, 17,000, 18,000 people there, all concerned about diabetes, which is so, it's so incredible when you realize how many people are in this field that, that care. Mm -hmm. Um, But part of what we did, so if you can imagine a city gets taken over by a conference of this size. And so we are, you know, completely booking up certain hotels in the area. And one of the things we did was to reach out to the staff at the hotels during their lunch break. And we brought programming to them. So I got to be the diabetes expert at one of the nearby hotels and the employees. So the catering staff, the kitchen staff, the custodial staff, all of the wonderful women who clean the rooms and make the beds, that was their break. That was everyone's break, the behind-the-scenes folks. Mm-hmm. And we got to talk to them about their diabetes or about diabetes in their family. And there was one woman who um, came in. It was, she wasn't even working that day, um, but she came in because she was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. Um, it had been a year, and she had never checked her blood sugar. And um, so she brought her meter in, and it happened to be the same meter I had. And we spent 20 minutes together. And... There was nothing like getting this woman who's in her 60s, um, who spoke broken English, so I used my broken Spanish to communicate with her, right. um, to get her to test her blood sugar for the first time. And the reason why she hadn't was because nobody showed her to put a lancet inside the lancing device. Oh my nobody gosh. showed her. So she was poking, she was pressing the button on the lancing device, right. and no blood was coming out because there was no way to get it out. And she and just gave like, it up. Yeah. God. Yeah, yeah it, of course she gave it up. Nobody cared. Right. It, it really is staggering because as you sit here and talk and listen to how you're, you're taking care of yourself, and I think about how I'm taking care of my daughter and even a lot of the people that I speak to, like you said, who have access to, to this kind of stuff that, that you need every day, whether it's you know supplies or, or support, 
and and I'm thinking about what good outcomes I'm seeing in my family, you know, with my daughter, yeah. and that they're not something special that only I can have. Like everyone with with a couple of simple steps and a little bit of support could have very similar, you know, outcomes, and and that they're not happening. It just seems like such a travesty. I, I think it doesn't just seem like it. It actually is. You know, it's just a. Yeah. It, it's it's crazy to think that. It's crazy to think that people are walking around in a society in a time where they don't have to feel like that and their health doesn't need to be like that. And for a myriad of different reasons, that still ends up being their, their reality. So, yeah, I mean, so there's anything so many, you can do. Yeah, I mean, there's there's stuff that we do that I'm really proud of. Um, and I mentioned, you know, 1-800-DIABETES. I mentioned Safe at School and our other advocacy efforts. Um, our programs like Diabetes Camp and anything else that reaches caregivers um, for type 1 diabetes. There's there's a lot. We're also, you know, honestly, it would be, I would be failing in this role if I didn't think about um, Arden when she grows up. Um, yeah. Because all of these kids who have type 1, thanks to everything that we have at our fingertips, we are going to be thriving adults and then older adults with type 1. Or I need to think about my sister and my dad. Like, what do they need? Yeah. And, you know, we have done so well Um in serving kids and their families. And now it's time to make sure that those kids that we serve, that we serve them as young adults and we serve them as going into the workforce for the first time. And we serve them when they're thinking about having a family. And we serve them when they're going on Medicare and things change. Mm-hmm. Um, we serve them where they are. We don't, we don't expect them to come to us yeah. um, wherever we are. And I think that that's, that's the point of it all. That's sort of the, the root of it all is... Where are you, and how do we how do we help you yeah. make a better life for Just, yourself? And we were gonna we were gonna talk a little bit about American Diabetes Month and all that stuff. And I realize we're closing up on our time. Yeah. Um, but part of part of what's really important when an entire month is devoted to this amazing, complex, difficult condition is that because it touches so many people, as an association of the size and the reach that we have, we have a responsibility to make sure that what we're putting out there is actually going to impact anybody. If diabetes can really impact every single family, which it can and which it does, then what we're attempting to get out there is going to be relevant to everyone. And, you know, Arden, if you, if she doesn't realize it now, she will eventually. Like, she needs to have healthy habits on a daily basis that would mimic any normal non-diabetic's body. Like, the way that I eat, I, I try to eat in a way that is is healthy in a way that a healthy human being should eat, not a diabetic should eat. Right. Um, and cause I, I don't think there's such a thing anyway. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, yeah, but, there's just a, there's a simple balance of, you know, yeah. food, nutrients and, uh, you know, and, and, and so you guys have a whole, I mean, so it's interesting because as, as you said, we are coming up on an hour, but at the same time you bring up, you, you know, in November being, you know, diabetes awareness month and, the one thing that always strikes me at the end of November is that no matter how many really well-intended people I see just really yelling their hearts out in any way they have the ability to, whether they have a blog or they don't, or they're on Facebook or wherever they are, is that it always seems like it's happening in an echo chamber to me. Like I always feel like we're preaching to the choir and that we're not getting outside of the bubble of diabetes and reaching to people. And maybe that's fine, by the way, because at the same time, I said to someone a couple of weeks ago who has had type one diabetes for 25 years, you know, it's diabetes awareness month. That person had no idea. 
and, yeah. and, and I <laughs> yeah, was just right. like, oh, it's really working. And, um, <laughs> and, and so you still, you, you know, you, you need to reach the people whose lives are directly affected. But right. at the same time, you're also looking for people to understand better so that maybe your interactions in your everyday life are a little better or that, you know, maybe you can make, you know, get more interest in people supporting research because diabetes is sadly one of those things that I think most people who don't know about diabetes hear the word. They think about their elderly or overweight uncle who doesn't drink soda anymore and takes a pill and every once in a while he gets dizzy. And that's what they think diabetes is. So, um, so you're starting with just a little piece of it about, about eating well. And my trying to my get piece is so cute and sweet um, <laughs> and tiny, you know, in the grand scheme. Um, and yet there's so much, you know, there's so much energy within the type 1 diabetes community um, that honestly, I just want to, whatever I've been able to benefit from personally and professionally, I want to be able to provide that as well. Yeah. Um, and then when I think about, so you mentioned earlier in our talk, you mentioned, you know, Food is everything to everyone. Food is all around all the time. And that's why, and then in terms of reaching people outside of the diabetes community during American Diabetes Month, that's, that's kind of why we took a really broad approach. Um, so in November, this November, our theme has been Eat Well America. So it's not eat well people with diabetes. Mm-hmm. It's not eat well people with type 2 diabetes. It's eat well everyone. So first knowing diabetes is impacting everyone in some some shape or form and knowing that food is so central to how we function and how we identify ourselves and how we connect with the world and our families. Um, The point of Eat Well America is really to make sure that those good practices, everything we know about having balanced meals is out there for everyone. So we've been pushing stuff beyond our diabetes community and attempting to really impact things in the workplace as well. Um, so we had a national healthy lunch day for the first time. We had a get fit, don't sit initiative that we launched this year that um, I was talking about school earlier, but the workplace is the other place where we're really focused. So on a day-to-day basis, on a healthy living basis, on an eating well basis, um, to, to me, and I would then venture to say for the American Diabetes Association, like every day is diabetes day. Yeah. You know, every month is diabetes month, like it's kind of what we eat, live, breathe, celebrate. And um, I think if we weren't, if we didn't do both um, broader education and broader awareness related to diabetes, along with being on the other, the actual other side of the line um, to be able to answer questions for anyone who's just, just enough loss, um, then again, we'd be missing the point. Mm. No. Well, you have a, um, a huge job ahead of you. You have the right <laughs> energy for it. Um, Thank you. It, yeah, no yeah. pressure, right? <laughs> no. Listen, I you did well. Look, you and I spoke on the phone privately a couple, like last week, just to go over, you know, how to get in contact and everything. And um, you were just such a really normal, like you know, you didn't come on the phone like, "Hey, I work for the ADA, and now let's have a really super serious conversation." You just, you're just a, <laughs> you were just a person. And um, as a matter of fact, I'm proud of you for not cursing during the podcast because it's. Oh, you know. <laughs> thank you. It took a lot of effort. <laughs> With passion, sometimes comes cursing, but uh, well, um, please, out of respect for everyone, <laughs> I held back. <laughs> it's nice. By the way, if you lose your clean rating on iTunes. Um, India's iTunes store drops you and you can't get back on again. They're the, the one country that does it. Like, if you curse in a show that you say is clean, they take you off and they never put you back on. 
That's, that's interesting. So yeah. I'm Indian. I totally get it. <laughs> oh, really? It, it, that makes sense that that's the, that's the line that's been It drawn? makes total sense. Yes, yeah. we like to control things. That's <laughs> funny. <laughs> well... Um, well, then you're doing an even better job of not of not jamming a Dexcom in your dad's pocket. <laughs> <laughs> Being like, look, buddy, get on to it. Well, I really do appreciate you coming on. I tell you what, I was, um, because of how many shows I have pre-recorded to get me through the holidays and into the new year, I wasn't going to be able to put yours out until December. But since we talk so much about some stuff that's still going on in November, I'm going to put it out on Tuesday. I'll, I'll bump it into the order and awesome. put it out on Tuesday. Thank you. Yeah. Scott, this has been a blast and it's always a pleasure to be able to we know type one is tough um and talking about it really helps so yeah. this is i'm going to treat this as my therapy session um and I, see and what I'm, i can then turn to to help others well, and i'm <laughs> going to send you a 40 dollars bill for a copay and uh, <laughs> what i was hey, hey, hey. what i was gonna say was if if at some point on thanksgiving if your family's getting on your nerves and you have to run off and be by yourself for a while if you want to write a short blog post about the 1-800-DIABETES phone number and the reasons like that someone might use it, I would yeah. be th- I'd be thrilled to put it up at the same time as the as the as the podcast next Tuesday. So awesome. so let me know. Awesome, very cool, Scott. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks for doing this. I really appreciate it. Take care. Happy yeah. Thanksgiving. To you too. Bye. All right. Bye bye. If you're enjoying the Juice Box Cod, yeah, here we go. Me trying to talk. If you're enjoying the Juice Box podcast, please share it with a friend, someone you think might also enjoy it. If you're really, really enjoying it, go to iTunes, leave a rating and a review because the better reviewed the show is, the more people are able to find it with searches. If you search diabetes and podcasts right now, we're coming up in the top 10. That is very exciting. Uh, go to Ardensday.com to see the ADA post about, I'm going to click around. I'm sorry to click while I'm talking. Ardensday.com to see the ADA post about 1-800-DIABETES. If you are having trouble with an employer or a school and you don't know what to do, somebody at the ADA will help you and they have a pretty uh, simple system set up for you to contact them and for them to get back in touch with you. It is outlined by them on ardensday.com. There's also links in the show notes to this. Let's not forget to thank Omnipod for sponsoring this episode of the Juice Box Podcast. Thank you very much, Omnipod. Your support is very much appreciated. I hope you are seeing support back from the listeners of the podcast. Uh, you can find me on, you know, Insta, Twitter, at Arden's Day or at Juice Box Podcast. And uh, hey, that's pretty much it, right? Uh, Going to be another episode next week. And then I have a whole bunch stored up. Um, JDRF scientists and Dr. Stephen Ponder, the author of Sugar Surfing, and I can't even go through how many great interviews I've done this month, but they are all coming um, very soon. All right, get back to your lives.